Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you made a drinking game out of New Orleans cliches and had a do a shot every time someone said New Orleans is famous for its food, well, by lunchtime, you'd be more drunk than a tourist on Bourbon Street wearing Mardi Gras beads in August. Yes, we are famous for, okay, I'm not even going to say it. If you live in New Orleans, you can be justifiably proud of our cuisine, but there are only so many po'boys, muffalettas, and plates of red beans and rice that you can eat. That's why when people move here from other parts of the country or the world and bring with them the authentic food from their home, we locals jump at it. Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, Middle Eastern, Latin, and Indian immigrants have all created restaurants that New Orleanians love. And to that list, you can also add German and Connecticut. Okay, okay, Connecticut's not a country, and normally nobody in New Orleans would look to the Northeast for any kind of food. That is until 2021, and that's when Joel Griffin graduated from Tulane, and instead of going back home to Connecticut for a lobster roll, he brought lobster rolls to New Orleans. From his very first pop-up at the boot, Joel's lobster rolls were a massive hit. Over the summer of 2022, New Orleanians were lining up for an hour or more and happily parting with over $20 for one of Joel's lobster rolls. My neighbor Jane told me I spent four hours of my 50th birthday in line for a lobster roll. Joel's Lobster Rolls is now the name of Joel Griffin's company and it's emblazoned on his food truck. Joel Griffin, uh, welcome down to lunch. Thank you for having me. It's, it's my pleasure. Sven Vorkoff uh, grew up in his family's deli business in Berlin, Germany. And when he got old enough to take over the business, Sven turned the single store into a chain of European-style delis. Then he sold the whole lot of them and moved to New Orleans. In 2012, Sven started over. At the Ferret Street Market, he had a pop-up he called Bratz Yall. Like Joel's Lobster Rolls, Sven's Bratz Yall was an instant smash hit with New Orleanians. Today you can find Bratz Yall Bakery and Beer Garden at its permanent home on Piety Street in the Bywater. The mostly outdoor restaurant serves uncompromising, authentic German fare, including Bratz, Schnitzel, Pretzels, and decadent desserts, along with a wide selection of exclusively German wines, beers, and spirits. Sven Vorkoff, welcome out to lunch. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Joel, I'm not exactly sure why snowball stands don't sell ice cream and ice cream shops don't sell snowballs, but they don't. Like snowballs, lobster rolls are a particular kind of culinary specialty. I understand that one of the reasons you moved from a makeshift pop-up-based business to a food truck is so that you can sell more than just lobster rolls and clam chowder. However, once you start selling french fries, fried fish, and so on, you invite comparison to every other seafood establishment. Once you open that door, it presumably 
wouldn't be difficult for established seafood restaurants to start serving lobster rolls. So what is the thinking behind diversifying away from your competitive advantage, which is your extremely popular signature product? That's a very good point. When I thought about expanding the menu, I didn't want to just do like fried shrimp because fried shrimp is actually a really popular dish up in Connecticut, but that's kind of already saturated here. You got fried shrimp po' boys, fried shrimp plates here. So the menu items that I want to introduce are, again, kind of niche items like the lobster roll. For example, fish and chips, while there is fried catfish here, it's definitely not the same like beer battered fried haddock or cod that you get in the Northeast. So it is a little bit different. So I'm very intentional and specific that I don't want to emulate or replicate any food that you can already find here. So when I first started the business, it was, okay, what can I not get here that I can get at home? And the first thing was obviously a lobster roll. And then I was thinking about things to add to the menu. And then I was like, wait, clam chowder, that's like another staple and you couldn't find that here. So then the next couple items that will be introduced are uh, the fish and chips, which again is different than the fried catfish. And then also lobster loaded fries or lobster grilled cheese. And you're right, I have to be very careful not to try to make my food similar or at all try to replicate the New Orleans food because I, w I don't want people to compare my food to New Orleans food and being like, oh, he's selling you know, fried fish for this. Why don't I just go to the gas station and get that? Because I want to differentiate myself to maintain that New England imported experience and not have it be at all similar to New Orleans. Sven, apparently a part of what makes Bratz Y'all still so successful after all these years is your unwavering dedication to serving only absolute authentic German food and drinks. At, at Bratz Y'all, there's no bending to the local pressures that have given rise to hybrid genres like New Orleans Italian or hybrid dishes like Yakamane or Vietnamese king cake. The interesting thing is, though, they exist because New Orleanians like to put our own stamp on things, especially food. Even Joel's lobster rolls come with a non-traditional sauce because that's what New Orleanians apparently prefer. So what is it that sets Bratz Y'all apart from all that? Why is your doggedly uncompromising German menu so uniquely attractive to New Orleanians? Tradition. <clears throat> you know, when I started in 2012 in Forret Street Market, we said, boom, we only do what we do in Germany. You know, a sausage in the bun, very simple, good mustard, German mustard, sauerkraut, caramelized onions. This is how we started, and uh, I want to keep it that way. You know, so many people come to me and said, Sven, hey, you know, you have a beer garden. We would like to have our beer in your beer garden. And I said, dude, I love your beer, you know? Even the brewery we're sitting in right now, you know, they come to me and I said, dude, I love your beer, I really do, but I want to keep it so authentic, you know? If you close your eyes and you walk into our beer garden, I want you to feel like you are in, in Germany hmm. with the humidity of New Orleans. <laughs> um, you know, we changed, you know, when we went to festivals, we had a little of a new New Orleans twist on our sandwiches. You know, we came up with this Nola schnitzel. You know, it's a fried <laughs> breaded pork schnitzel in a muffaletta bun with a crawfish slaw on it. So that's the New Orleans twist. We won Paul Boy Fest with that, right. with that sandwich. Um, I try to bring a little bit New Orleans twist in it, but, uh, and then I go right back to tradition. Um, 
because that's what people want. You know, they don't want like, uh, hey, it's kind of German food, but it's not. No, we want to be very traditional. In fact, you mentioned the beers. You don't even serve Budweiser, which is has a German origin. Because it's not a good beer. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not a good beer. I thought this. Was you know, when I came to New Orleans uh, in 2010, and I was invited to some. Hey, Sven, you want to come over and watch football? I had no idea about how football is getting played. I only know soccer, but, you know, and then I was like, hey, man, grab a beer. And I was like, all right, I had Budweiser and Miller Lite. And uh, I was like, dude, I can't drink that, you know. And then the next party I was invited, I was like, I'll bring my own beer, you know. And, but I brought enough beer for everybody to share because I was like, here, try this. This is a really good show. Just the fact that you, call, you pronounce it Budweiser sounds better already. You Budweiser. Know? It's, oh, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Joel, in the beginning, like so many entrepreneurs, if you'd made any kind of profit, you pumped it back into the business. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that had to be rough. You're just a young guy. Yeah, so for the first, I would say, year, even more, even now, I haven't paid myself once. I, <laughs> and I had bartend part-time, even when I could take profits, I was just, it was like this weird psychological block where it was like, part of it was wanting to see that bank account grow, but more of it was that I don't want to take anything from the business. There's Joel, myself as a person, then there's Joel's Lobster Rolls. I still try my hardest not to make myself part of the business because when I do that I kind of get scared maybe I'll just start taking more profits and I just want to yeah as you say keep pouring it back into the business and keep growing as quick as I can and I think part of that led you know made it possible for me to buy the food truck because if I didn't take pro or if I did take profits I feel like I would I would I don't know get get comfortable and the fact that I was just so so hungry and so just uncomfortable while I was doing this business and just made it my mission to grow this business I think that motivated me and also gave me the money to buy the food truck and I, I was very grateful to buy it cash no debt purely from the business and I started with like $500 and all the money I made from that first pop-up went into the next one and it just kept rolling over and rolling over and then months go by I'm like wow I can afford a food truck so I bought a food truck and that's kind of still the snowball that's going on right now is I'm just keeping all that in the business and just saving up for whatever the business needs and yeah, you're right. It, it was tough. I mean, man, I don't bartend as much anymore, but it would actually be at the boot where I did my first pop up. Be honest, I've had students tell me that it took years in a real job to make as much money as they made as a bartender at the oh, boot. So yeah. I just uh, absolutely. <laughs> my girlfriend actually, she's an architect, uh, and she's doing architect internships. And man, she still tells me, man, I make more money at the boot bartending. Why am I slaving away at this desk? <laughs> <laughs> because so. you have a vision, and that's actually. Exactly how I started to. Mm. I, I couldn't pay myself for years. Yeah. Um, but I had this dream about Bratio. And you know, when, when we came to like the first markets and festivals, and I saw the excitement of these customers, and I had these long lines, and it made me really proud. And then I could pay my staff, I could pay, you know, all the, all the other things. And I was Wonder like, dude, I couldn't last. pay. <laughs> me at all but i put the money into the next project mm -hmm. and um look uh it took me six years uh to open a little uh, a little restaurant you know and uh i'm still in that still in there sometimes i make a little money and uh, sometimes i lose money 
you know, and uh, but I love it to do it. And I, you know, when someone said, hey, Sven, this is the best German food I ever had, even when I traveled to Germany, that gives me so much pleasure and go, Sven, you're doing the right thing. But um, this is the way to do it, man. Yeah. You know, you are, how old are you? 23. 23. Um, Do you remember it's awesome. I, I could be your daddy, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, but um, hey, it's a very it, different it's, kind of it's, show. It's, now. it's, it's uh, <laughs> I'm your daddy. <laughs> um, no, it's that's exactly how you do it. Because when I see some people, they open a, a thing and uh, you know they're making a thousand dollars, and it was like, yeah, I made a thousand dollars. Don't don't yeah, spend it, man. Yeah. Put it that's by not, side. That's not your money. That's you the know, business money. Buy <laughs> a new fryer or buy a, another yeah. fryer or another griddle to make more sandwiches or more lobster rolls or buy a food truck. Um, that's the way to do it, man. Congratulations, you're doing the right thing. Jolie, now I have to ask you, when are you going to start paying yourself? <laughs> I don't really know. And do your parents know what you're doing? <laughs> they do, yeah. The, the parents are they're, they're very supportive. Uh, my dad was entrepreneurial. Uh, he's in real estate, but before that, business this, business that. Uh, he's done well for himself, and I think I get a lot of my work ethic from him. I should call him more and tell him that, shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they're very supportive. And in terms of when I'm going to start paying myself consistently, I... I don't think ever. I think if you, if I was, well, maybe for tax purposes, you kind of need to give yourself a salary for it. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But <clears throat> I don't really plan on giving myself a consistent salary ever because once I start getting a perceived fixed income, it just makes myself too comfortable. I just try to live as frugally and thinly as possible and just focus all the money on the business. Because, yeah, as soon as you start paying yourself, it's kind of like as if you made it and you're kind of reached that end goal like okay the business is doing well time to give yourself a salary relax a little bit like that should for me at this point in my life that should never happen you're listening to out to lunch i'm peter raschuti i'm talking with joel griffin from joel's lobster rolls and sven vorkoff from bratzial bakery and beer garden sven so many times in fact we had a young woman that had a food truck and uh, it was uh, south american food and was very very authentic and then eventually people just force them into having tacos you know it's uh are you are you having uh any of that or have you got i mean you've got such a strong clientele they're coming for that authenticity you know sometimes i'm fighting with myself and said hey man maybe we should bring you know uh, red beans and rice, but German style on Mondays or Tuesdays or whatever. But, yeah. I, you know, and I said, no, 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 no. We have to Don't do it. keep it authentic. And, um, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm always, you know, try to invent Brazio and, and bring new items. And I said, okay, this is a, a dish from the South like Flammkuchen, and people say, oh, that's like a pizza. Now it's not. It's from the, <laughs> you know, it's from the, the border of south of Germany f to France, and, you know, and it's actually a German dish, and we bring that, you know, every time in spring, Flammkuchen, and uh, it, I want to keep it German as much as possible, and I, I do. One of the things, we talk about the food, you know, whether or not you want to kind of Americanize it and you don't, but what about culturally? Like, for instance, um, uh, I read somewhere that y you're kind of um, unnerved by the fact that people change jobs so much. 
you know, that you've hired somebody and they don't stay forever, which yeah, would be in Germany, maybe. That, 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 was, uh, that was new for me because I had uh, companies in Germany and uh, in my whole life I'm in the food business because I love it so much. And uh, the work ethic is a little different in America. Uh, and I understand. I understand it because me as a entrepreneur, as a boss, you can let people go from one day to the next. In Germany, that's impossible. You know, you you cannot by law. But also, your staff can go from one day to the next. You know, I said, Sven, I, I found a job that paid me a dollar more. And I was like, you took it. Why are you not talking to me about it? So, yeah, a staffing a business is, is hard to find people that have, you know, the the work ethic. And, How many and, people and do you have on staff? Um, ten right now. But, uh, you know, it, it grows in, uh, in springtime, 13 to 15 people we have on, on staff. Um, now you mentioned springtime, Joel. Have you got some seasonality in here too? In terms of like uh, labor? Uh, in terms of uh, really when you yeah, when you're yeah. working harder. So I guess I'm sure you can attest to this. The summer is always slower. Yes. Well, I guess last summer was an anomaly for me because that's when my business first started. So I was kind of first getting discovered. So as you said in the introduction, that's when I was like extremely busy because all of New Orleans was kind of finding out finding out about me for the first time. But moving forward, I'm fairly certain almost positive the summer is going to be a lull that's just oh, yeah. the food business here it's hot nobody wants to go outside and it's probably even worse for me as a food truck you have to wait in the heat and if it rains so it's it's very seasonal uh even more so for a food truck especially with like the rainy season in the summer because rain I, oh yeah i can't really do anything about that with a food truck so it's tough i'm in the same i'm in the same boot man yeah. because 95% of our seating is outside. We have umbrellas, but if it's hot as hell and raining, that's our that's our weakest uh, time yeah. of the year, you know, summer. So you have to make your money in spring, put it by side to survive the summer. Yeah. And then you you make your money in the, in the fall, put money by side to survive the winter. Yep. And uh, then maybe you get a storm or maybe you get a hurricane. And, uh, you know, you have to put $2,000 in uh, because something is breaking outside. Like, uh, you know, Ida was really hard on us. We, we, uh, we had to redo the whole outdoor place. Oh, wow. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the way it is in New Orleans. It's yeah, the no. worst, too, because when the weather's bad, I mean, you've been in the food business longer than me, but it's like, the one thing I hate about the food business is that it's not like selling T-shirts. Imagine selling T-shirts yeah, that put have an expiration yeah, date. Exactly. It's yeah, like you're right. selling, it's always, that's, you're that's selling actually, a T-shirt that expires in like yes. 12 hours, <laughs> yeah, and it gets yeah, worse I'm the next totally day, right. and you have to just keep it rolling, and it's it's such a difficult business, and uh, I mean, that's the one thing I, I honestly really it's hard. hate about the food business. Yeah. It's just the, the, sure. the expiration date, the waste. I, I do pretty good about waste, but it's just... It's also kind of a benefit in some way because it keeps your foot on the gas. Like you need to sell this, or else exactly. like you lose a lot of money. So maybe if I had a t-shirt business, I'd like be like, oh, I'll sell oh, them yeah. next week or something like put that. It, put but them in the garage. Yeah. You know, make sure they don't get moldy. That's all. Yeah, exactly. It's a good hedge for you, Joel, to actually have a t-shirt division. That might might yeah. really work out. I, I, I have hats, fifteen dollars. <laughs> Call that number on your screen. Yeah. They, Joel, when I when you first started out, I kept thinking that the lines were probably filled of former New Englanders wearing Red Sox caps. So who, who are the clients? So uh, 
I guess obviously there are two types of clients that I kind of knew going into this business. There's the Northeast folks like myself who are nostalgic about the food and crave it and probably went through a similar search like myself who tried to find a lobster roll and couldn't get one. And then they probably gave up. Like, All right, I'll get one next time I go to Maine or Connecticut. And I guess for me, I was like, I didn't give up. I started a business instead. So there's the, yeah, the nostalgic folks who miss it and are familiar with lobster rolls. And then there are also the folks who've never had one before. Nothing, no offense to them at all. I mean, I probably, I didn't know what jambalaya was before coming here or any of that. So it's actually, and probably you can attest to this too, it's really oh, yeah. difficult educating, not that I want to educate them or patronize right, them, but, but just like making them aware of what that it it's expensive, yes. that I wish I could be cheaper. And then, so getting them to try it for the first time, usually after they try it, they're, they're hooked and they love it. But it is a difficult part of my business is convincing the local crowd to try it because it's a tough sell. It's not like a, a burger or something like that where you can just, all right, $5, $10 for a burger, I'll try it. It's like $23. They kind of have to trust me a lot to make that purchase. But usually when they do, they, I, 99%, actually, I can't think of a time where they said this was not worth it. <laughs> they usually come back. And actually, I'll say one more thing is every time I get a new person coming up, oh, first time here, I've heard a lot about it. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready. I won't disappoint. And they get one. And then like two days later, they're back. <laughs> it's, it's funny seeing <laughs> well, the new faces Same return. thing on Sven's side. You've got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember when I was like Fred Market or Palmer Park Art Market or whatever, and they said sauerkraut. Ah, I hate sauerkraut. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. Oh, sauerkraut. Keep the sauerkraut off my sandwich. And I was like, dude, try me. And it's not the raw sauerkraut you get on a hot dog stand or whatever. We cook our sauerkraut for hours and hours with a, you know, smoked ham hock in it and caraway and onions and love and champagne vinegar. And I had sauerkraut and I was like, oh my God, that's the best thing, best sauerkraut I ever had. And then they said, wow, it makes sense to bite into the sandwich the sausage, the, the mustard, the sauerkraut, and then the sweet caramelized onions on top. And I said, wow, that, that's it. And, and that makes sense. And I said, now you had a real German experience. And when you wake up tomorrow and have a German accent, do not freak out. <laughs> because it only lasts 12 hours. And then you probably need another German sandwich. <laughs> Um, a good way to keep your now I've had pretzels at the Superdome. Um, I take it they're not authentic German pretzels. This <laughs> it's a joke, you know. And hey, you, you, you know. try to get into the Superdome, sir. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> no, like I would love to, you know, but it's, uh, it's do, not important to them, you know. Yeah. They they get them frozen from somewhere, and uh, this is the a real authentic German pretzel. It takes a lot of work. It's all by hand, rolled, proved, baked. You know, we, we, we ship lye into, into our business. Sounds terrible, but that's the way how uh, to make an authentic German pretzel. And um, yeah, um, people come just for our pretzels. Now, Joel, the other part would be, if you could expand the menu, but the other part would be to expand where you're parking this thing. I was thinking like, um, yeah. you know, weddings, things like that. Yeah, so yeah, there are two routes of expansion, you could say, is yeah, building out the menu and you know, offering more variety for the customers. And I, I try not to do that. And I know I have a couple of menu items coming, more so as specials, but I mean, with food, 
business, there's just a difficult, complicated menu is just the worst. It's just more waste going down the drain, more complicated menus, more training for the staff, uh, more storage. It's just all around. It's kind of, it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, for a food truck, maybe. If you're a sit-down full-service restaurant, it could be advantageous to have a wide variety menu. But for a food truck who's always mobile, it I just try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, so, yeah, expanding the truck to different venues, that's a great idea. And I've been trying to get, kind of expand my catering and wedding avenues a bit. And I actually just spoke to a wedding venue a week or two ago. And I think they said they'd put me on their list to say if a client calls and they're trying to plan a wedding, they have like a short sheet of food vendors that they recommend. And I'm pretty sure I'm on there. I got to follow up with that. But yeah, you're correct in that. Uh, there are so many opportunities for me to expand, whether that be another truck in terms of truck locations, like wedding venues, new parts of the city, going to Baton Rouge. It's like, yeah, there, there are two paths to take with expansion. And I tend to lean towards the new location route rather than the new menu route. Joel and Sven, you both moved to New Orleans and you're both now part of the local culinary tradition. But more than that, you're part of making New Orleans the great city it is. So over many years, the myriad of influences of indigenous people, French, Spanish, Asian, Haitian, Honduran, and many others have built our city on a freedom of coexistence. Uh, New Orleanians embrace everyone who shares our really unique perspective on life. It's hard to put your finger on exactly what that almost indefinable New Orleans-ness is. At the end of the day, it's not about a nationality or an industry or a plate of food. It's about a person. The reason your businesses are doing so well here, Joel and Sven, is partly because of lobsters and brats, but it's largely because of you. Thank you both for moving here, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Joel Griffin, owner and founder of Joel's Lobster Rolls, and Sven Borkoff. He is the owner of Bratz Y'all Bakery and Beer Garden. We edited the show to fit into our time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about New Orleans Bratz and Lobsters by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, it's neworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find these photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO. 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com.
Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.